0: Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. All right. Hey, uh, listen! If uh, this is actually a special um, elders' prayer weekend, and if uh, you need healing or you have some needs in your life, you need to break through. On our elders would love to meet with you and pray with you and just to encourage you in that. And so, after service, just make your way to, to the front. So uh, that little uh, time we did of, of kind of prayer and dedication. And so on it comes out of a sense, a growing sense for myself and I believe the staff as well, that we're in a time in our in our culture and our in our world where we need people who know Jesus, not just know about Jesus not just living on fumes of the past or their parents. We need people who know Jesus because we believe that the, the challenges facing the world today and, and our communities, even our families, is going to require people who uh, have personal faith, personal relationship with Jesus, and know how to walk in that. And so last week, I, uh, I uh, uh, it cheered you up and encouraged you by telling you Satan was out to get you. <laughs> and you're the smart ones. You came back. So we're going to finish up that passage today because it is not something we live in fear of. It's just something we want to be aware of and something we know how to uh, combat. As a matter of fact, God has given us all that we need uh, to deal with whatever attacks and wherever they come from, and to live victorious lives and Christian lives. It's found in Ephesians chapter six. And uh, let me reread a part of what we talked about last week, make some comments, and then move into the what we call uh, the the armor. Okay, the armor of God. So. Uh, finally, be strong. It's starting in, in Ephesians 6.3, or 6.10, I'm sorry. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So that now, So, first of all, let me just stop already. Um, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. The strength you need to overcome temptation, overcome challenges, suffering, whatever it might be that could derail you is not your strength. It's not your willpower. That is the mistake we make. We think if I can just have stronger willpower or find the right techniques. or No, it is... It is, if you'll notice, in the Lord and his mighty power. It is God's power that you need in order to move forward. We established that right off the bat. And then it goes on. And, and it says, put on the full armor of God. So two things there, put on. Uh, it, it means that we've already provided with all that we need, but we have, to, we have to make use of it. We have to put it on. We have to make an effort on our part. To, so it's like God says, here it is. And my my dad used to have this saying that that when we were being lazy or something, he said, oh, you want me to roll you over and put it in your pocket too? I don't know what that actually meant, but I knew he was making fun of me. That's all I knew. And God says, here's all that you need to put it on. And it says not only to put on the armor of God, it says put on the full armor of God. It's not enough to just kind of protect everything else, leave your head, you know, unprotected, right? That'd be really not smart, okay? Um, And even your feet, which seem like "Ah, that's not a big deal, but pretty hard to fight when your feet are all messed up, right? And so put on the full armor. So it's saying you need God's power, you need to use the tools, the weapons, the armor that he's giving you. Um, And then it goes on so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We talked a lot about that last week. That uh, You can listen to that if you weren't here. Uh, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual force of evil in the heavenly realms. Whoa. <laughs> I think that was the intent of that, by the way. So this is serious stuff, guys. You keep wondering why you're living a life that's not victorious. You're, you're struggling all the time. You're not, you don't really understand the powers that are working against you. You don't need to fear them, but you need to be aware of them. And then, and then it goes on. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, by the way, it doesn't say if the day of evil comes, it says when the day of evil comes. It means everybody's gonna have bad days. And it just doesn't mean bad days, it means bad days. And you need to be ready for them. And by the way, when the bad day gets there, it's too late to put the armor on. If you're not already walking, used to living in the armor that he's gonna describe to us, it may be too late. You may just get your lunch eaten. Uh, it goes on. Um, so that you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. This may be able, this doesn't mean you might possibly, no, it means you will stand your ground. If you have the armor of God, you are assured victory. You are assured victory. And so that's not really in question. Now, Paul's writing this and, and you think, wow, Paul must really love war. Nobody loves war. Nobody in their right mind who's not insane loves war. You can apply that to our current situation if you like. Nobody loves war. It's an awful thing. It's a terrible thing. There are times when we are attacked and there is a discussion about whether Christians should go to war or not. We don't have time to do that today. Uh, I'm just suggesting you don't come to my house and try to get my wife because I'm not a pacifist. But, um, (laughs) But the reality is, as harsh and terrible as that is, uh, sometimes we may have to find it necessary. Paul is not saying we should emulate soldiers because war is great. What he's doing is he's probably tied to a soldier. <laughs> he's probably connected to one sitting right there. And he's looking at it and going, well, that's kind of like spiritual warfare. Let me use his outfit as an illustration. And there's, so there's a couple of things about this you need to understand. Um, one is that war is not fun. And, and even though he's kind of using this illustration of a soldier, there are some parallels there that we need to understand. Uh, we need to understand, uh, for example when you are a soldier, you do what you're told to do. You do what you're told to do. It's not like you get an order and you go, nah, let's vote on this. Everybody else up for this one? When you're, so what happens is the choice you get to make, hopefully, is that you enlist, you become a soldier. Once that choice is made, you have no other choices really. So in grad school, I took a a course on um, leadership and hierarchical structure of leadership and what's the easiest to to direct, what kind of organization, what's the hardest. Easiest to direct is military because you just give the order and it happens. And if it doesn't happen, somebody gets court-martialed, right? What's the hardest? Doctors, because they all think they're God. Can we talk about lawyers? Because, okay. I'd probably get more laughs for that one, but doctors really are the hardest, medical community. They're the hardest to kind of keep organized, keep moving. Uh, by the way, I guess, I, and I think it, I want to say it was like third hardest on the list. You know what it was? Churches. Because it's all volunteers. It's hard to fire volunteers. I mean, we do it, but it's hard to do. You got to find them. Got to get them to show up, and then you fire them. Here's, a part, here's part of the illustration here. Paul wants us to think of our lives in terms of the warfare happening, spiritual warfare happening, and to realize that once you enlist, once you decide you're on Jesus' team. That, so I was a kid, we used to sing this song, it was so politically incorrect. I'm in the Lord's Army. I'm in the Lord's Army, ever, ever sing that one yet? I may never um, shoot their artillery, fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's Army. It was so politically incorrect. I'm starting to think it's not a bad idea, actually. Hey, I'm starting to think maybe we should teach the kids that one because there is a real war happening, guys. It is a, it's a real war. There's, a, there's an interesting thing, and this is an aside, but I just thought I'd share it with you. There's an interesting thing. The word evangelical, anybody know the word evangelical? Are you familiar with that? If you're new to church, it, it's, it, Christians are always trying to find ways to describe themselves, to differentiate. Uh, I'll do it right now. Cultural Christians versus authentic Christians. That's one way to do that, right? Um, and so... Uh, uh, So evangelical is one of the words they latched on to for many years. And it was about a set of beliefs about certain theological beliefs and uh, orthodoxy and and theological beliefs and practices and so on. But now the problem is that it has become associated with uh, certain politics. And so now when you say uh, evangelical, people think it aligns with a a certain political group, whatever it is. So they're trying to find a new word. And I think I have the new word. Enlisted. I'm Enlisted. I'm enlisted. In other words, I am a man under orders, and those orders are first and foremost in my life. I'm a person under orders. I don't think it's going to catch on, but I still like it. So when he starts using this military, he wants us to understand the seriousness of what it's about, and he wants us to understand that that God needs to be our commander. That's that's the initial thing we start with. And then it goes on, and it gets to the stuff we want to talk about today, and I may not make it through all of them. I'll, I'll try to at least touch on each of them. Um, so, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. After you've done everything to stand. So here we go. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness. By the way, he is describing what this soldier would be wearing, in the order on which uh, it would be it would be put on. Okay, so you put on the belt first. Um, so goes on with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which, uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then he goes on and he talks about prayer. So, um, let's, just, let's just get to this. I, I, kinda, I think I got most of the observations I wanted, to, I wanted to point out before we started. Let's start with the first one, all right? And so... In in verse fourteen, he says, "Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist." Now, the belt of truth, and, and, and in, the, in King James, I, I I think it it may be girdle, or may may it, maybe it was a, a gird up the loins, I, uh, something like that. Uh, it, what it is, a belt. And so, just picture this, okay? Uh, this the belt. It, it put it on, and remember, they weren't wearing pants; they were wearing like tunics or skirts I don't know what it's called but anyway you know like right and toga maybe I don't know Uh, some of you uh kappa something probably know what that is anyway so wasn't in my notes shouldn't have said it sorry and so they would take them in order to be able to move they would take them they would tuck them in the belt So it was about a readiness kind of thing. Put the belt on. And then the belt was also used for all kinds of things. The breastplate would be anchored to it, right? The sword would be hung off of it. And so it had so much to do with anything else. And so it's the foundational piece of the armor. And what is it? It is is this. The foundational piece uh, is truth. It is truth. Uh, So here's where we start with the the, the foundational thing. Uh, We begin with truth. Truth is, what is truth? It's truth is about believing God's word. It's about believing God's word that he has the truth. Um, So signing up that the Bible is the truth is a hard thing for us because we don't, want it, we don't really want somebody else to have it. It's the same lie that was in the Garden of Eden. What well, was the lie to, to Eve, remember? It was, oh, you will, you will know. You will just intuitively know what is true and what is not true, what is good, and what, you will just know that. And so ever since we've been lying to ourselves, thinking we know what is good and what is true. The problem is that we live in a world that says you can have truth and I can have truth, and they may not even agree with each other, but they're still true, which is not true right right and so here we go we live in a we live in a world in which in which we just want to uh, uh, we just want to we just want to have all these truths everything's true nobody's wrong you know an interesting thing happening right now with the russia conflict is that um, and this i believe somebody was telling me about this in the new york times i think it was saying that they were writing that this battle happening in the ukraine proves that there is absolute right and wrong because we all know it's wrong We all know it's wrong, right? And so now where we've lived in this relative society where your truth and my truth and there is no such thing as the truth, we know the truth about that battle. We were wrong about what is wrong. (laughs) There are things that are absolutely wrong. Slaughtering innocents because you want to take more ground from them is wrong. It just is, and we all know it is. And so this discussion about relative truth or truth is relative or all truth, it's baloney. It's not true. So now here's the question. Where do we settle on what is true? Because we have believed for a long time that I instinctively know true. What I think is true is true. Or what I feel is true is true. So if we went back 100 years and we talked to your grandparents, do you think there were things that they believed that we now don't We kind of make fun of what they believed? Right? Because we're so advanced. We, we're so much further than they are. Do you think 100 years from now they're going to make fun of some of the things we believe? because we're not nearly as advanced as we thought we were. So why would I want to buy into some concept of truth that just just gets out of style when there is an eternal truth that never goes, it may go out of style, but it's never not true. We need to believe truth, right? We need to find objective truth. So we have all these areas of our life that we don't want input on. That's part of the problem. But I not only need to believe that the Bible is true, um, so having an objective truth, it actually makes life easier. It may make it inconvenient on occasion, but it makes it easier because I don't have to decide what I'm going to do in a given situation. Let's see. Should I stay married to my wife? Yes. Should I, should, I, should I abuse my children? No. Should I even exasperate them? I hate this passage. No. Right? Should I, should I cheat on my taxes? Let what belongs to Caesar, right? No. You see, it just makes life easier. Whereas with this subjective thing, I'm always, well, how do I feel? I feel it's true, I It's real clear. <laughs> it's real clear. We may not like it, but it's real clear. Um, so let me, let me kind of tell you why having objective truth is so important. It's not so I can be right and somebody else can be wrong. Completely irrelevant. Here's what it is. Um, so when we live according to subjective truth, we are so full of ourselves. There, there are even people who go through the Bible and they go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I like that one. Oh, I don't like that one. That's not true. I like that one. That one's good. But that, no, I don't like that. That's not true. And so we go through the Bible and see the parts we like and the parts we think are good. what if that's the wrong thing? Maybe we shouldn't be looking at the Bible, deciding what is true. Maybe we should let the Bible look at us and decide what is good and bad. Maybe we should let the Bible read us. Because nobody else is giving you objective truth. Even your spouse, if they love you, they start telling the truth about you, you're going to be so mad. And what they're telling you is may not even be true, but even if it is, you're not going to accept. Where do you find objective truth? Right here. Well, why is that so important? So there's a guy named Tim Keller. He's a pastor. And, and I've, I've seen this passage for years. And I've known, I've taught this passage. And I remember my earliest childhood, you know what a flannel graph is? Anybody remember a Flannel graph. Yeah, a flannel graph, you don't know what it is, but they would take these things, they'd put them on the guy, and they'd teach you about the armor. And to this day, I don't remember what the armor is, but I don't know what it means. A guy named Tim Keller, who was quoting several English um, theologians, uh, Packer and um, Jones and, and some others, and, and some early Puritan writers, really helped me understand some of the insights in this. So last week, we talked about how Satan is out to get us. He's out to destroy us. Let me, let me <clears throat> show you why objective truth is important. A part of the lies that Satan tells us have to do with lying to us about what will make us happy. And, and he'll, he will take desires and make them inordinate desires. He will pervert those. Matter of fact, what he does is he, he infects our imagination. Just say, well, okay, okay. Sex, let's just start there. One of God's best ideas. No, really, I think it's a really good idea. And so what Satan says, because Satan is not a creator, he's a perverter. And a liar. And so what Satan does, he takes this wonderful gift that God has given us. Sex, physical intimacy, a man and a woman who are married, committed to each other for a lifetime before God and everyone else. This wonderful gift that draws people together and produces children oftentimes. And he says, wow, Satan comes in, he perverts that whole thing. He lies to him and says, well, if this is good, this, anybody, anywhere, anytime is better. Do you know what it's done to the family because we believe that? Because we have inordinate desires. The Bible talks about that. When we start practicing this outside of God's plan, it is a problem. So how do we know it's a problem? Because it doesn't line up with God's word. We live in a time where certain things are identified as, as oh, those are okay. It doesn't matter who you're with. All, you know all that. And the Bible says they gave up natural desires for unnatural desires. In other words, the God-given gift got perverted in their imagination and they thought if it's good with her, it'll be good with them. And it's destroyed our society in so many ways. If you doubt that, just look up the stats of pornography. And then look at what it does to marriages. Well, that was a good one. Okay, let's talk, let's talk about another one. Let's talk about guilt. guilt. Guilt is not bad, by the way. We live in a society, you should never feel guilty. Yes, you should feel guilty. You do something stupid. You should feel guilty. Really, guilt is a good thing. If you if you yell at your kids and they didn't deserve it, you were just in a bad mood. You should feel guilty. But here's the problem: Satan t- takes guilt, which is a good thing, and makes it a bad thing because it turns it into self hatred. He turns it. He turns it into self hatred. He says, "Oh, yeah, that's guilt. Yeah, you are so guilty. You're awful. You are unredeemable." What God says is, "Yeah, guilt. It should draw you to confession and repentance." And then let's get on with this thing. I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to throw it in the deepest sea. And uh, we're going to move on. And by the way, you need to apologize to your kids. And we'll be good to go. Let's go. But Satan takes that and he just dumps it on us and makes us live under a cloud of this thing that causes us to hate ourselves. Well, I'm, I'm off. Of uh, another lie that he does has to do with the fear. Fear is not a bad thing. A little kid running toward this street. You should be afraid. That's a bad thing and that he should be afraid, and if I need to help him remember (laughs) to be afraid, I'm not opposed to that, but when fear turns into constant worry, anxiety, crippling uh, 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 panic attacks, now Satan has taken what is natural. Yeah, I should, there are things I should be aware of. I should consider those a problem, and turn it into this unsolvable, life-controlling problem that he has lied. He has infected your imagination. Your your desires for safety are now inordinate desires for safety that you probably can't get. Nobody can assure your safety, not even you. We can take reasonable measures and trust God with the rest. And so when I believe God, when, when I'm sitting here and I see fear, but I know God's objective truth and I believe his word and not just parts of it, all of it, But he says, do not live in fear. Do not live in worry and anxiety. If you're over here, you're out of God's will. Let's get back over here and figure out what we need to do to stay here. Objective truth, right? Because if you don't have objective truth, you have subjective truth, and that can change as often as mask mandates. I'm not making a political stand. I'm just saying The science changed, I know. By the way, I say that to be a smart aleck, but also to point out, the science does change because they think they're discovering new truths. You know what doesn't change? God's character, God's intention for our lives, God's love for us. That's why you need truth. And I am through point one. Wow. All right, let's go on. In, in the second part of verse 14, it says, and we're to have the breastplate of righteousness in place, the breastplate of righteousness. And so we, we, so we immediately start imagining a breastplate. So, you know, maybe it looks like a, a chest protector if you're riding dirt bikes, something like that. Um, but the, the image is not really the press. That's not the word you want to focus on. The word you want to focus on is righteousness. Righteousness. Righteousness is one of the greatest things in the world. Unfortunately, in a popular culture, righteousness has come to to actually be equated with self-righteousness. And anybody who we refer to as righteous, we really mean self-righteous, and it's a bad thing, and we're fed up with them because they make us feel bad about ourselves, or at least trying to make us feel bad about ourselves. They're holier than that, whatever it is. We need to understand something different. An and illustration that comes to my mind, and I've used it so many times over the years, it helps me understand righteousness. Righteousness was when I was a little kid, and I did something bad, and I took my punishment, and then my dad said, come here, son. Do you understand what you did? Yeah. Are you sorry you did? Yeah. Okay, let's hug. In that moment, when I hugged, now he made me hug my brother. That wasn't a righteous moment. I was still mad. But when I hugged my dad and I knew everything was right between us, that is righteousness. Being right with someone. The real word, the original Greek word for the the word, this particular word that's translated righteous means presentable or maybe even acceptable. I met a young man recently who was going to meet his girlfriend's parents for the first time what did he want? He wanted to be righteous. He wasn't a Christian. I don't mean in that sense. He wanted to be acceptable to them. And he was really scared <laughs> that it wasn't going to work out. See? See, we live in a world in which we do all kinds of things to be presentable, to be, to be righteous, to be whatever it is. And the truth is we can never get there. If you just out there, look at social media. You know, they've got filters, filters that make you look completely different. Now, I'm not against ladies, a little makeup. Even some of you guys could use a little. Um, never mind. But um, but we live in a world that if I can't be right, I can at least pretend I'm right. Right? This whole, if, if I can't be right, righteous. I'm going to pretend I'm something I'm not and try to convince people. And one of the biggest problems right now is all the oligarchs, you know, they're freezing their assets and stuff. And you'd think they got plenty of money. They're not going to starve, whatever. The problem is that they love their stuff, their yachts and their big mansions and all that stuff so much because it gets to project an image and they care more about their image than their actual comfort. There's articles being written about it. It's really interesting. What if you could stop pretending to be right with the world and with the, and actually be right? What if you could actually be righteous? You could be presentable. How, do you, how would you do something like that? Well, um, over the years, the writers have talked about the ways that we try to be right. We try to be morally right by being better than the person down the street or being a really good person. But at the end of the day, we're just trying to make ourselves right, relationally right. There's all kinds of ways to try to be right. But here's the deal. Um, the only way... To be right is to be right with the one who created you. That's, that's the only way to be right. Because he is the one who you have sinned against. He is the one for who has an idea, a plan for your life that you haven't lived up to. And until you get right with God, nothing else can be right. And when you're right with God, nothing else that's wrong is going to touch you. In any deep kind of way. In other words, you could say... Uh, You're an idiot. You're stupid. And all those things may be true, but you know what? God loves me. I've repented. I am forgiven. I am reconciled to God. I am right with God. I wish you didn't think those things, but at the end of the day, and I'll be glad to work on the ones I need to, but at the end of the day, I'm right with God. That breast, you can't pierce my heart. You can't, because I know who I am. You see, we've got to stop convincing, trying to convince people who we are and live in who we are. If you're a Christian, you are already who you are. You're a child of God, loved more than you could possibly imagine. There is a plan for your life and a reason for you to be here. You don't need more than that. That is a protection. The blessed breastplate of righteousness It's a powerful thing. And then it goes on in verse 15. He says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I don't have a lot of time for this, but I think I'll end on this one. Let me just finish this one quickly. From the time of Alexander the Great, warfare changed. The reason Alexander, one of the reasons Alexander the Great was so great was that he he equipped his soldiers differently. And one of the things that he did is he gave them different kinds of shoes. They were, um, they had spikes on the bottom for traction. They were thick-soled because the opposing armies would oftentimes bury um, sharp objects in the ground to disable the soldiers. And they were sandals, so they were light, so they could move. They didn't have to carry big, heavy things around. He could often outflank his opponents. And the Romans took this and used it. And so when Paul is talking about these shoes, um, he is talking about something that makes you agile. It makes you effective. By the way, when you slip in war, it's not oops, it's you're dead right? And so, when he talks about this, again, there is a parallel with the shoes, but the word you want to look at here is not even the word peace. The word you want to look at is readiness. Readiness. Uh, and so, he, he talks about that, this idea of peace. Uh, so, let me give you an illustration. And it's more guys, mostly, will come to me and say, oh man, my relationship fell apart, my marriage fell apart. Can, can you help me fix this? And I always say to them, I can't fix your marriage. You took 15 years messing it up this bad. I can't fix it. But I'll help you fix you. And then whatever happens to your marriage between God and your spouse, but I'll help you fix you. And they always want to fix them in about a week and a half. Yeah, I got you, Easter. Can we get that done by then? And I want to say No. Because here's what they're feeling the pain. They're feeling the pain of, of dissonance, of, of distance, uh, of discord in their own life because this relationship has finally broken off. They ignored those feelings before. They didn't address them. They didn't do anything with them. And now that it's finally broken, the pain has become so much they want to do something about it, right? Um, and, 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 and yes, they want their wife back, but they want peace is what they really want. They want to be okay. They want the discord, the dissonance, the pain to stop. And so oftentimes, can you just pray that I'll be okay? And, and I, I, I do, but here's, here's, I just want to leave you with this thought. You can't get peace from God until you're at peace with God. Because whether you know it or not, you're at war with God. Because you want what you want. It's just like a little kid who won't give up that favorite toy, even they got to go to the bath. It, it, and you're at war with that little kid till they let go of the toy so they can get the bath, right? You're at war with God because you don't want His way. His way is better. It's better to be clean than dirty, <laughs> right? It's like the little kid. His way is better, but you want to fight Him because you think you know your way is better. And until we stop fighting and we give it all to Him and become at peace with God, the Bible, the, the word that God uses between man and the, the Bible uses between man and God is enmity. It's very close to enemies. <laughs> and until we stop fighting God and we say, there's old songs we used to sing, have your way, Lord. Earlier when I, when I stopped and did the thing about something needs to break, here's what I really should have said and, and, and I'll say it now. What needs to break most is pride. We need to have our pride broken to the point where we humbly, tearfully acknowledge that doing it our way doesn't work and we need to do it your way, Lord and i'm sorry for all the times i've tried i'm sorry for all the messes i've made i am sorry i repent of that right now and when you do that and you ask forgiveness that you can receive because of what he did on the cross when you do that you are now at peace with god and then when times get tough and they get hard there's dissonance there's harmony there's all these things you can get peace from god but to try to get peace from god when you're not at peace with god doesn't make any sense and so when he talks about putting on those shoes, the shoes that allow you to move forward, the shoes that make you agile, the shoes, shoes that will—that's all dependent on you being at peace with God. So you say, "Well, I, I just—I just hate the world we're living in. It's scary." Okay, are you at peace with God? Because you want me to pray for you to have peace, but I want you to have peace with God because that's the only way to get there. And so when we kind of think about our faith are you at war with god are you at peace with god i was, I was reading I'll, I'll just finish this illustration it's kind of a negative illustration i hate to end on a negative illustration but i i saw a headline uh from a publication this week and uh and it was it was the inside story of the major fall of a christian leader which i never read it's just gossip, and, and uh and I saw the headline, and I saw what publication was. And oh, there they go again. And and every time I read one of their headlines about this, they seem to take real joy, real joy in announcing the fall, the moral failure of a Christian, especially a Christian leader. And I started thinking about that. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the fall was. I don't need to know. I, I don't care. But I was trying to figure out why are these people taking this editorial board, whoever makes the decisions, taking such joy in the fall of a Christian leader? Because they don't like Christians. And they don't like Christians, therefore when they fall. But why don't they like Christians? Is it because we're bad people? Most Christians I know are not. There's a few that are jerks. But for the most part, they're trying to be pretty good people, right? Is it just because you don't believe... In the God that they believe in? Is that why you hate him? Well, it's no skin off your nose that they believe in a God that you don't believe exists, right? Why do you hate them? Here's what I, here's what I realize. Those people are not mad at Christians. They're mad at the God who would place demands on their life, who would dictate what their morality should be about and tell them that there's a higher purpose for why they're here. Here's the crazy thing. they hate a God that doesn't even exist according to them. How do you hate a God that doesn't exist? Because he does exist. And it was planted in your heart to want to know him and to want to worship him and want to please him. It was in your heart when you were born. Truth is, we have a whole world that's not just mad at each other. Ultimately, they're mad at the God who created them. And until we stop going to war with God, we'll never know peace. Not personally, not in our world. That's why I feel so strongly that we, going forward, are going to need to know Jesus personally so we can be at peace, at peace with God and receive his peace, which is beyond all understanding. It's beyond whatever's going on around us. And that is the light that will change the world that's in darkness and enmity with God and with each other. And we're in a day where we need to have a breakthrough. I truly believe that. I believe every generation faces that moment when it can go dark or we, the people of God, can be at peace with God and have his peace in our life and share it with others. And I believe that's the moment we're at. And I believe we need to look at ourselves. So today, here's my challenge to you. God's given you everything you need. And the rest of it's pretty, it's pretty easy. Uh, God's given you everything you need. Are you going to put it on? Are you going to walk in his peace, in his light, in his power and bring change to the world? Or are you going to keep trying to do it by yourself and live a, a, a less than victorious life? The world needs Christians who will live victoriously. The world needs Christians. It's not just for your own benefit. The world needs Christians who will live victoriously. Because the darkness is becoming undeniable in the world in which we live. And we can do this. You see, the armor is really a list of benefits and opportunities that God has afforded us. That's all it is. Put it on. God is going to do great things in your life. Let's commit ourselves to doing that this week. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for being so good to us. There is um, plenty around us, on the news, in our neighborhoods, even in some of our households that causes us to know that evil is afoot, that there are evil things happening. And they're evil people, it seems. And yet, Lord God, we don't live in denial of those, but we live in victory over them because we have all the privileges and benefits you've offered us in the armor of God. So help us to know your word. Help us to defend our, ourselves and our hearts, Lord God, by living according to your word. Lord God, let us live every day at peace with you. Never let the, the ice come over the, the, our hearts that has to be broken up daily. Lord God, let us be clean and pure before you every single day so that we will walk in the armor of God that we will be representatives of a loving God who has the power to change things. Lord God, if the world ever needed Christians to be Christian, it is today. Help us to walk in your army, to be all that you've intended us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you guys so much for being here. And uh, yeah, this week, put on the armor of God. See what happens. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.